0: Welcome to the Safari Stories Podcast, the podcast where you'll hear nail biting stories about all sorts of animals and adventures. Each week, you'll get to ride along as our guests share their amazing safari stories with you. Now, let's jump into your safari stories for today with your host, John Lister.
1: Thank you, everyone, for joining us once again. Uh, Today, we're lucky enough to have Marty Goddard join us. Marty spent 264 days in the park in 2009 and blogged about it on the Sand Parks website. Um, unfortunately, that uh, blog has been taken down with the update of the website, but we've got Marty here today to share some of her experiences and some of her stories with us. So, Marty, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, John. Thanks, and thanks for having me. No problems at all. And so how I always start the uh, podcast is a little bit of uh, background about yourself and how you discovered the park and how you fell in love with nature. So maybe you could give us a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I'm South African, uh, grew up my childhood in the
2: Lofeld. So we very often went to the park for day visits. It was mostly day visits um, on either Saturday or Sunday. And then uh, grow up, uh, moved to the city, and then it was like maybe two or three weekends a year we used to go. And then in 1998, we moved to the Middle East in Qatar. Mm-hmm. And then the Kruger visits became a yearly visit. Half the time at the sea and half the time in Kruger. Obviously, if I could, I would just go to Kruger, but we have to make compromises. Yes. So yes, so that is what happened and I have been living here in the Middle East um, for 23 years now, so yes, 10 years ago I have two daughters, they grew up, moved back to Cape Town, went to university in South Africa and it's an empty nest syndrome I think, Mm -hmm. when I decided then, you know what, I cannot be at home all the time, so I spoke to my boss who agreed that I take one year unpaid leave and I set off for Kruger. Wow. This time, camping, mm-hmm. which I have never in my life done before. Okay. <laughs> Not to mention setting up a caravan or towing a caravan, but uh, yeah, I had to learn quick. Okay, and,
1: and um, so you packed your bags and off you went for a year. How did you start planning, such so a long trip? Because it, it's obviously something that requires quite a bit of planning and th- thought. How did you sort of go about the task?
2: Yeah, well, it was a lot of planning, but uh, I was on the Sandbox website and you start asking questions and although you know the park um, like the back of your hand but there's things like I said with camping I've never done before yes. and also how to make the bookings so obviously bookings you cannot make one year in advance you know for the full year so I had to stagger the bookings so I would make bookings as they open the day that they open and decided to go three weeks per camp start um, well my plan was to start in the south go north and come back again Yes. But that changed, so I started in the middle of the park, which is Letaba, which was my first camp. Stayed three weeks and then moved up and then started moving down. So I think on all I had uh, probably like six or seven different bookings. So And that also helped with the payment because everything was paid beforehand. So when you make the bookings, you pay the first three months and then you make the next booking, pay the next three months. So before I started here,
1: that was all paid in full and it was just by the caravan and set off. Okay, wow. And so, obviously, um, you've seen a lot of the camps. Um, what was one of the favorite camps that you stayed at? Um, Sensi. Sensi is an awesome camp. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, unfortunately, I left before the year was over, so I never made it to Baluli for camping. Yes. So Baluli was supposed to be the last camp, okay. uh, but I never made it there, so I cannot comment. Although I've stayed there in the huts at Baluli, and I am sure that if I had been camping at Bouloulie, um it would be a very close call between Sensing and Balooly.
1: And, and so let's talk about some of your favorite uh, roads and some of your favorite uh, expeditions. Mm. favorite roads depends on where you are in the park. Okay, so you're <laughs> staying at your favorite <laughs> camp. Let's go with, let's uh, stick with your, uh, where your heart lies and um, talk about you're staying at your favorite camp and you're planning your morning drive yeah
2: um I think favorites in the south must be um I love Loisabi. all the roads you can go uh, very rich in sightings um, in the central park, definitely Satara once again, Satara is an awesome place uh, lots of lion leopards you name it it's all there and then further up um, Punda area um mainly because of the road to Klopperfontein and uh, crooks corner, I love the for the, the Fever tree forest. So yeah, I think those are the three dimensions.
1: Okay, and uh, let's uh, hop into some of your stories. I mean, uh, one of the things I'd always like to hear about is, um, obviously, I've never done any camping. So uh, the difference between, say, staying in a chalet and staying camping, and uh, you did a lot of camping and it was all new to you. Um, so yeah. tell us a little bit about that.
2: Okay, when I arrived in um uh, obviously, I had no idea. So started doing things and uh, setting up camp. The uh, first few days, I had some help. And from then on, I think it was the 7th of May, I was all on my own. So first, uh, the um, awning for the caravan that I bought did not, um, was not ready when I left Pretoria to start the trip. So they promised to courier it to Palabora Gate, which is 50 kilometers from Letaba. So anyway, I had to go and collect it and then I came back to camp and there was um, new people that moved in next to, next to me and I saw them looking at me arriving with all these bags, with folds and standing around now thinking, oh, okay, now how does this work? So they pulled up their chairs, called the neighbours over and here these people are sitting watching this woman. And... Uh, Eventually, the, uh, the man came over. Uh, he was later called the supervisor, mm-hmm. uh, John. He sadly passed away a few years ago. But John and Norma became um, friends and helped me a lot by teaching how to do things, um, how to make sure that the stays are up, that the caravan is connected the correct way, um, how to find the best spot, how to level the caravan, which uh, came to good use was in Punda when I arrived and it was raining and uh, muddy during school holidays no stand open apart from right on the top of the hill um, full of rocks I was given a, a drill because on the sand park site they said some of the ground's very hot so it's good to take a drill so you can drill holes for the temple but unfortunately given a drill and never shown how to use it. it did not come to very good use so the first few days at Punda I was uh, Woken up a few times every night rolling off the bed because the caravan was standing at such an angle. It was not possible to stay on the bed during the night. Luckily, my friends arrived in Punda and showed me how to take the shovel and start digging out the ground on the other side to level the caravan because there's no other way to do it. So I think camping also, um, there's a lot more interaction between the campers than the people in the, in the bungalows. I think camping is a total different world. Uh, there is no ways you can ignore people because you have to walk to the ablutions. You have to use the communal kitchens. And people get to know you and um, and you talk a lot more. We sometimes now, obviously, I do not use the caravan. I've sold that when I left. Um, using the accommodation, Yeah, sometimes if you stay in the huts, you still have to use the kitchen. You still interact. But my findings in the bungalows is like, many people prefer to come back to camp, make their fire, do their own thing, and just carry on. For me, Kruger is not just about sight. To me, Kruger is coming back, make a fire. I only cook on a fire. Everything I made, I cook on a fire. I met, uh, I was, well, I met an Australian man, a writer, very famous Tony Park, which I met at Crockbridge. Uh, we had an interview together. And Tony and his wife came to Scacuzza to show me how they cook in a cardboard box. That is the most valuable thing I have ever learned. And even now, my first stop is the bottle store to get a wine box, line it with foil, and everything is cooked on a fire, from roast chicken, roast lamb, roast pork, roast beef, fish bake, spaghetti, whatever, and it's all done with the box.
1: Wow. That's very interesting, actually. And and so... Um, obviously, you learnt a lot on your trip. What um, is something that you could share with some of the listeners that you thought that you would never learn or never understand mm, I don't know so it's a bit tough question they? <laughs> 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 maybe maybe the most valuable
2: lesson was uh, uh n- not to believe everything people tell you about camping at uh, Pretoria scope. Um, I couldn't unhook the caravan, really struggled. So the neighbor, seasoned caravaner, old man, told me to undo the handbrake and then it just flips off easier. So, well, okay, did that and it just flips off. So the handbrake is not up. So when I arrived at Bergendal and once again the same scenario, could not unhook it, forgot I was on a hill, undid the handbrake, and the next minute the caravan took me for a walk. <laughs> oh, wow. So, I think at that stage I was about 50 kilograms. Try and stop this, uh, <laughs> this uh, one ton, whatever you call it, uh, caravan uh, was quite tricky. Yes. I did eventually pulled up the handbrake just before I crashed into some other campsites. Um, turned out a bit blue and purple, but it's, uh, it worked. So I think from that day you realize, you know, okay, You don't know all the ins and outs of setting up camp and whatever, but don't take everything people tell you and think it's going to work in every scenario. You have to take in, remember where you are.
1: You know, you're not on flat ground. So, yeah, it's valuable lessons learned. And I suppose one of the things uh, that our listeners can take away is that um, in the Kruger, you can actually learn all these things. I mean, you had very little experience with it, and by talking to other people and trying things yourself, you slowly become... A seasoned camper, for lack of a better
2: word. But could not have been without the help of uh, the supervisor, John. Yeah. Because he was on call all the time. Every time I had a problem, it was just a message or a call to John. Mm -hmm. And then I had a solution of what to do and how to do
1: it. So, yes. Yeah, very good. And um, so let's uh, move on to some of your uh, wildlife and nature sort of sightings. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, a thrilling leopard sighting you had. Oh, this was... um, Went to Kruger for my 50th, a
2: few years ago. Don't want to say how old I am. (laughs) Okay. Um, So we were at Tamburti. I stayed with another good friend that I met um, in in Kruger during my time. That was before I met. We stayed at Tamburti. For me in the morning, waking up, I am not one of those to be first at a gate. (laughs) I like to wake up um, early, make my tea, sit on the veranda, and just take it all in. You know, it's a time when Back at work here, it's it's rush, rush all the time. So I do not want to rush when I'm in Kruger. So I'll get up, um, sit on the veranda, I have, my, and then slowly get ready, back up and and go. Annette is different. She's first at the gate. She's out um, when the gate opens. So anyway, I left about an hour after mm-hmm. and driving from uh, Tamburti towards Satara. And I think it was just before Bobi Ankranz. Um, I saw on the side of the road and two other cars. So I stopped to ask what's going on and there was the leopard um, busy catching a warthog. Huge leopard with a huge warthog. So I just went past and I parked on the side so at an angle so I could see uh, probably 50, 60 metres away. And my car at that time, my bucky or pickup truck, You would call it. It's uh, wind-up windows, not electric windows. And I like driving with all the windows open. So anyway, I was sitting the driver's side, beanbag on, and watching this amazing sighting of this warthog fighting with this leopard. I mean, the sounds were awesome, amazing. So anyway, as the fight progressed, the leopard moved closer and closer and closer. But you're so intrigued and so mesmerised that. You just keep on clicking, clicking, and you know, the shutter is going all the time. And as the leopard came closer, I saw it just looking up at me, and then it was fighting again with the warthog and just clicking away. And the next minute, I think it stood on over over the warthog. It looked me straight in the eyes, gave one growl, and came for me. I don't know how I closed that window. in record time, because at this stage that it must have been 10 metres away from me. And But I closed the window, and the next minute it was sitting right next to the window, just staring at me. I mean, that was the, the scariest experience I've ever had in the 50-odd years, but also the most thrilling, because the adrenaline, when that happened, was... Amazing. Some people will say scary, but I was shaking so much. <laughs> the people in the car next to me could see me trying to light a cigarette. I am a smoker, yes. but you're shaking so much that you cannot, and you actually just leave it. So, yeah, that's, uh, I really, really enjoyed that sighting. and something I will never forget. And
1: the parks uh, definitely changed a lot over the years. Um, tell us a little bit about some of those changes. <laughs> I like the
2: changes. Um, you know, when I, I think back of we went for day visits 50 years ago or whatever, uh, go to Skakuza, I mean, it was very different. You would park up on a hill. There was a little walkway and then you had stairs going down. There was only a small little shop. There was the um, the fire going uh, with the uh, shovel. So if people wanted to bri, uh, there was no separate day visitors area. It was all in the same. You would just take the shovel. Um, get a load of coal and put it in the brine, start brine, lunchtime uh, I prefer the newer Kruger uh, more modern Kruger um, although you're in the bush it's nice to when you feel like it um, go for a meal at a nice restaurant the, I think the restaurants provided in the park now uh, are much better than what they used to be even five years ago um, also the um, the convenience of or the variety that's available, so it's not the same food over and over again. Um, so yeah, I, I prefer the, the the new Kruger. It's still got the smell of the old Kruger. You walk into the huts or the reception, the smell has not changed. The only thing that has changed is maybe the roads, more tart roads, um, more facilities, overnight hides, things like that. I prefer that to the old Kruger.
1: And uh, maybe another story. Uh, tell us a little bit about the um, black rhino that you asked. Mm. Black rhino, I mean,
2: it took me many, many years to see a black rhino. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which my first black rhino was uh, in the south, close to bergendal That was 10 years ago. I know I can mention that because that rhino's maybe not there anymore. Yes. Or it moved. away. But uh, two years ago, um, when I was in Kruger, I was driving a very famous road. Mm-hmm. Um, saw a rhino in the distance and then the next minute I heard the noise next to the road and I looked very bushy and I saw oh wow rhino next to me but something was different and I reversed to see and as I reversed it would go forward so I would go forward and eventually I saw it was a black rhino so now it's behind the bush and this is a rhino black rhino right close up never had one right close up to me. So I think with me reversing forward to following the rhino, he got a little bit agitated. So I decided, okay, I'm going to park at an angle again and wait, because I could see it wants to cross the road. So parking at an angle, only car there, and the rhino started moving forward. And the next minute started coming out the bush, not far from me, maybe 20 meters, 30 meters. So I started taking pictures and once again, the shutter. Now, you know, they don't have good eyesight, but they've got very good hearing. So I am just taking photos and it's amazing to have this black rhino right in the open, right next to me. And I can just imagine what the photos would look like. So not, once again, not thinking I'm agitating, I looked up and it started with its front paw hitting the ground. Its head went down and it started snorting. And I thought, oh, good heavens. I dropped the camera on my lap. I froze. I stopped breathing because this rhino was ready to charge. And I think it took about 15 minutes of just staring at me. And the next minute the car came around the corner and it turned around and just ran. Oh, wow. But, you know, when you know it's going to charge and there's nothing you can do, you are parked at an angle. You cannot just pull off. And also, I mean, the car was switched off. So if I, I think if I had to
1: start, it would have startled him and maybe he would have come for me. So. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things, you know, when, you, when you're when you taking photos and you're in a certain position, it doesn't uh, always make for a hasty getaway if you need to.
2: Yeah, but I think it's important that people uh, learn to know the signs. Um, you know, I mean, if, if I was very inexperienced uh, and maybe continued taking photos or started a car. I think it, it could have been a very bad situation. Yeah. So it doesn't matter at what sighting you are. I think you, you need to know the signs and see when an animal is getting agitated mm-hmm. and when it's time for you to step back and forget about taking photos and just enjoy the moment.
1: Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. It's uh, knowing your surroundings and knowing where all the animals are, particularly with elephants, is often... Quite a uh, big group of them, so knowing where they're all coming from and where they all are, so that you don't get. No, them. I don't talk about elephants. I've been chased more than once. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I never, in some
2: cases, I never knew I could reverse that fast. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yeah. you also get a docile once, and uh, I'll never forget uh, Slanganini, uh, one of the big tuskers in Kruger. Yes. Um, and a very close, uh, nice sighting of him. Uh, when I started in May 2009, mm-hmm. and um, he was such a docile elephant. Um, he's actually hanging in my lounge. Mm-hmm. I had a nice painting given to me for my birthday from a family of Slanganini, and um, I think most most of the time, elephants are not aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is in breeding herds or, you know, maybe in um Look, I was, after that first chase, I was petrified of elephants. Mm -hmm. I would see him. it doesn't matter where I was going, I would turn around. But there were instances where you couldn't. I had the caravan in tow, moving from camp to camp. And uh, the one time, this old man just kept on walking towards me, walking towards me. But you could see he was in must, he was shaking his ears, back legs dripping with water. So there's nothing you could do. So I just switched off the car. I climbed under the steering and I just sat there. And yes. just waited because I could not go backwards or forwards. Yep. And eventually, I think it took about an hour of sitting there sweating, um, lifted my head and saw he moved
1: off the road and that's when I made my getaway. <laughs> yeah, and um, you mentioned some of the big tuskers. Um, is there some regular animals or some uh, animals that you you sort of fo- started to follow and became some of your favourite?
2: No, no. Um, I don't think uh, I'm a follower of, of animals. It's just because I knew about Slaganini and I knew he was in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sadly, he died a few months after the sighting of him. Yes. Um, no, I, I just drive and whatever I come across, I come across. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of uh, leopards. Yes. And uh, if I see a leopard, there's no ways I would leave it. Luckily, you know, during the time when, when you have an extended time in the park, and uh, you can sit at a sighting for seven hours. Mm-hmm. You, you know that you have another day and another day and another day, and you have many more days to come. It's very different when you just go for like, now I only go for four or five weeks at a time. And um, you do not have the same freedom to sit and wait, which um, I enjoyed during that time because I was in no rush. Where I can understand where people just go for a weekend or for a week, you know, some do rush from sighting to sighting. Uh, I prefer to, to take my time and just enjoy each sighting that I get. Yeah, but nice. yes, I mean, many, many leopards had me sitting there, waiting, waiting. And eventually it pays off. Sometimes it didn't. The leopard never came back or you waited. Um, I remember Christmas Day uh, tw- 2009, my daughters came to visit me in the park. Uh, for a week, and uh, we were told about a leopard at the Sand River uh, low-water bridge. So we had lunch at the restaurant, our Christmas lunch, and then I got a message from friends to say that there was a a leopard hunting. So we quickly packed up and went there. Now, you know December uh, in Kruger is extremely hot. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we had cooler boxes in the car, but I forgot to add ice. So off we went and we found a spot we saw the leopard, lots of impala around. And I think if you just drive past, I mean, some people did drive past, didn't see anything, although you told them it was a leopard. Couldn't see it and then just drive off. I mean, we sat there for about five hours in the heat, no ice. Um, yeah. People did come past, stop. The first thing we would ask them or they would ask us, what do you see? We say there's a leopard right there next to the impala. Mm-hmm. You see where that impala is? The leopard is lying at that tree. Okay, now i have show you the sighting, have you got ice? Unfortunately, nobody had ice, so we just carried on sweating in the car. And the minute that leopard decided to jump up and caught this impala, yes. it's just the moment when I turned my head left to talk to the girls, and the next minute it grabbed it. So yeah, blurry photos, but it pays to stay at the sighting and wait, because you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Something might, something might not happen. But yeah, Yeah. that's Kruger.
1: Mm. Oh, absolutely. And and a lot of the other guests I've had on, uh, a lot of their best sightings have come from uh, many hours of patience uh, where you're looking at a spot and not necessarily seeing the animal, but knowing that it's there and then waiting waiting for the right time and uh, a great sighting eventuates. Correct. Mm.
2: You know, I think another thing is also to introduce people to Kruger. Yes. I mean my girls also grew up going to Kruger all the time and they are also Kruger mm-hmm. and now I have my grandchild or grandchildren so Caden is four now and he knows every year when he comes to, to South Africa we're going to Kruger. Yes. So he's also introduced to Kruger and at a young age four years old he knows all the animals uh, he knows what it's about mm-hmm. uh, and I think Many of us that are Kruger fanatics, this is the way we were brought up and this is the way we bring up our But last year I um, went to Kruger and I took two friends from here. Uh, Fatima, who is from India, and another friend that used to work here, um, Jackie, who is from China. Mm -hmm. So, because I've been talking about Kruger all the time and they know what I've been doing. Fatima was actually acting as my secretary while I was in Kruger because the block became so big that I didn't have time to read through everything. So yeah. Fatima would read it and then send me a summary to say, you know, who commented on what or who asked what questions. So I could directly reply to those. I didn't have to sit there because some nights I went to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning when I finished the block. Yeah, wow. And uh, if I did not block, I mean, people would say, where are you? I've been waiting for the block. It didn't come. So, yes, it was a stressful time. Uh, but anyway, so they know about Kruger and I've been talking about Kruger. So they decided last year they're going to come.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Marty, uh that draws us to a close. Um, thank you so much for your time. And I really do appreciate you uh, taking the time to share some of your experiences and stories with us. Um, you've definitely got a lot of experience in the Kruger and uh, that tells in some of your uh, stories and experiences that you've told us. So, uh, yeah, thanks again.
2: You're welcome. And thanks for
1: having me
0: thanks for listening to the safari stories podcast we hope you enjoyed today's stories if you liked our show and want to see the pictures and videos from today's stories please visit our website at safaristories.com as well as safari stories facebook page and instagram it would mean the world to us if you could take the time to leave a rating review or comment join us again next time to hear more safari stories